We love sharing tips about our favorite running gear with our podcast listeners. One of our favorite running items for as long as we've both been running are our spy belts. Our spy belts, small personal instrument belts, are perfect for carrying anything small with you on your run. That could be your nutrition, your phone, your keys. The best part is that they don't chafe and they don't bounce around. So you don't have to worry while you're on your run. Check out Spy Belt at spyspibelt.com. We always talk about the importance of recovery after our training runs. One of the products that we love to use to help with our recovery are our Lily Trotters compression socks. What do compression socks do? Compression socks can help reduce swelling, improve circulation, and reduce muscle soreness in your feet and legs. So we put them on after our long runs, after our hard workouts, or just when we're feeling like we need that little extra bit of recovery. Check out the stylish line Lily Trotters at www.lilytrotters, that's L-I-L-Y-T-R-O-T-T-E-R-S dot com. And you can use the code RFF20 for a discount. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you doing this week, Olympic week? What's going on with you? Um, you know, just hard to believe that we're almost in August already. The whole summer is flying by and um, just, you know, starting to think about kids headed back to school and also figuring out the whole <laughs> No, not yet. You're not thinking about it. I just, I mean, it's August. It's just summer yeah. seems to have flown by. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's it. Also trying to, you know, figure out what's, you know, it's so interesting to see that we're kind of headed a little bit backwards in terms of, um, terms of uh, COVID. And um, I know we talked about it as a little bit this week, but you know, we were so gung ho about heading into fall and things heading back to normal and races being on. And now um, some of that may be, may be in question, or at least we'll be wearing masks a lot more um, based on the current CDC guidance. But um, you know, we, we kind of thought we were, I think everyone sort of let out a sigh of relief and now everyone's taking that back just a little bit. So I know we had talked about this week, you know, what, what do we think about fall races now that um, the numbers are going up again, and the Delta variant seems to be um, kind of in the news. Yeah, um, I did a little bit of a deep dive, and I will say there's a couple positives among the negative news of this pandemic of the unvaccinated. Um, and that is, it looks like the way the Delta variant is, it, it spikes very quickly, and then there's a steep decline. So it is my hope that um, while certainly I don't want to see a spike at all, if there is more of a spike, it will happen abruptly, it will happen quickly, and then there will be a deep decline. And by the time we hit fall race season, uh, the uh, Delta variant subject will be um, something of the past. That's that's what I'm hoping based on the trends, based on what happened in India and other countries. Right. It, it was like, yeah, if we look at other countries, it decline. seems to be on the decline now. So I hope that that's where, that's where we're heading. Yeah. It's a roller coaster, definitely a roller coaster. It is. It's really hard also to just put that mask back on, you know, in certain, and I was really hopeful our kids when they went back to school wouldn't have to wear a freaking mask. I'm just so over it and I'm pissed off. I don't care that, you know, I'm trying to be politically correct and everything. And I understand there's people that out there that are very scared of the vaccination. If you are listening and you have a friend or family member that doesn't want to get vaccinated, do us a solid and, and make a PowerPoint presentation and tell them why they need to get vaccinated. I'm so pissed off that people are not getting vaccinated. I know that it, the efficacy hasn't been studied quite as long or 
as other vaccines. I get it. And last night on the news, there were some healthcare workers who were interviewed that were explaining why they will not get vaccinated because they don't believe in the studies that have been done so far because it's only been a few months of studies versus 10 years. And, you know, when there was a polio outbreak, as soon as they came up with a vaccine, everybody got it. Like this is, it's time. So anyway, I'm probably saying this in an echo chamber. I, I really can't imagine that there are any of our listeners aren't getting vaccinated based on the fact that this is a running podcast where people really want to take care of their health. But if you happen to know someone who hasn't gotten vaccinated yet, uh, yeah, please, please do your best to convince them. Um, I'm sure you already have. So anyway, moving on to like more positive topics because we can't change the world from this podcast. I will tell you that last week, remember last year when I took up my COVID hobby of learning to water ski, I got to water ski again last week. I am pleased to say that I was able to get back up. I thought it's kind of like um, remembering to ride a bike if you haven't ridden a bike in a while. So I got in my position. The hardest part of water skiing is getting the skis on gracefully. I look like such a clown trying to get these things on because I'm so amateur. And it, it, I swear it takes me forever. And I was with some friends and um, for whatever reason, the others couldn't or it just didn't work out for them to water ski that day. So I was the only one who did and they were so supportive. And, but I felt really self-conscious because everyone was like hanging over the boat watching, like you can do it. And so it was a little bit of a repeat last summer. I think it took me three times to get up, but um, I was up for a really long time and it felt very much more natural than last summer. And it was super fun. So um, I just love it and I can't wait to go again. So uh, one of the silver linings of COVID for me was picking up that new hobby. And I'm glad I, I got to go last week. So it was really fun. That's awesome. I think that's a great reminder too of like getting out of our comfort zones and finding some fun, some fun, um, you know, things to do outside of running that we can use as, as sort of our thrill and our, um, you know, something that we're passionate about and something that we don't feel like we're so good at. So, you know, some, there, there's reward in, in doing that. Actually, um, I went stand up paddleboarding this week. And while I'm used to it, um, I took uh, Paul with me, who's, who's never done stand-up paddleboarding before. And, uh, you know, it took a little while for him and he's a big runner, obviously, and, you know, athletic, but um, took him a little while to get up. But then once he did, he realized, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good to get out of your comfort zone and try something that challenges you and gives you another, um, you know, something else to do uh, that you look forward to. And, and summer's a great time to do that kind of stuff where we get to be outside now. And I love summer. I know you do too, but um so taking full advantage of our summer sports. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, say, I say hobby more than sport, Lisa, because I... Oh, right, okay. So, so summer <laughs> sport activities. It doesn't have sports, summer but summer activities. Yeah. And, exactly. you know, a little bit inspired by, by the Olympics, watching all of the different sports on the Olympics that are, you know, so many different. Um, and now that we get so many, you were able to see so many of the competitions coverage of so many different sports, um, watched archery, which, you know, is really, um, speaking of taking up new things, uh, Kira, my daughter is decided she really likes archery and she has now a bow and arrows and we go nearby. There is an actually an archery range. And I took her the other day and she showed me how she, she's really good. I, again, not, not my, talk about out of your comfort zone. It took me a little while. I actually lost one of the bows, like, or one of the arrows, sorry, not the bow, one of the arrows. It went, I don't even know where it went. So I don't know how you do that, but, um, so yeah, so it's been fun to watch some of the, um, more obscure sports, I think, in that we don't know about as much and learn about them and see, um, see some, some athletes who are really good at what they do. You know, the coverage this year for me has been a little confusing. I don't know if you've, there's so many channels and there's so many different 
sports all day long. And then of course the Peacock network, you get the live streaming, but I'm not going to be able to watch it during the day. So I tune in at night. And of course we already know who won and who lost, unfortunately, because NBC is assuming that we're all streaming all day long on the Peacock network. But yesterday I heard the coolest story. Speaking of obscure sports, it was a BMX cyclist who is an Olympian. Did you see this? And she's she um, is married to an Australian BM, BM, former BMX cyclist who um, had a horrible accident, ended up um, losing his ability to walk, and she still married him. And he, in spite of his insistence that they not get married because he didn't want to hold her back, and she ended up becoming an integral part of his therapy. And then he became her coach. And now she's competing in the Olympics for gold and she's one of the front runners. And it's just such a beautiful story. And that is what I love about the Olympics. I'm such a staff. I know you are too. I love, love hearing these stories about human interest stories, the human interest stories, human interest stories. Oh my gosh. Like there was um, like all the swimmers, all of, did you see the swimmer who had um, lost use of his legs temporarily and then um, gained them back through the help of his family and swimming and ended up um, winning the gold the other night. It's like they, every, it feel, I feel like every Olympian has a story of overcoming some challenge, but some of these challenges are so extraordinary and it's just really, really fun to hear their stories and um, what these pe- young people have been through to be able to get to the Olympics, especially this year with an unexpected hiatus where they had to like maintain their fitness and then ramp back up and, and get to Tokyo and pass all of the tests to make sure they don't have COVID. I mean, it's been, it, it just seems like quite a, a debacle and a nightmare. And then when they actually do win their goal, their family's not even with them to celebrate. It's just, there's, there's a lot tied up in this Olympics and a lot of lessons to learn. And so today we decided to, we, we have a guest today, but we decided to put this off a little bit because there was something that happened this week, unless you've been living on a rock um, everyone here listening knows what happened to Simone Biles and how she decided to bow out of the competition, um, initially citing health reasons, but then um, becoming more specific, indicating that she had basically had a mental block and had what's called the twisties, where she didn't have air awareness. And as a result, made the intelligent decision to not risk her bodily health to get out there and compete um, and decided to leave it to her team. And everyone's talking about this. And and while I really have seen very little negative commentary about her decision, it's out there. And there are many people who are calling her a quitter and calling this the timing of this suspicious. And of course, there are also many more, I hope, people who are supportive of Simone's decision. And we both were talking offline about how much we can all learn as athletes and people about Simone Biles' decision to bow out of the Olympics and take care of her health. And uh, so today we wanted to just kind of talk about this a little bit and talk to each other and talk to all of you, our listeners, about some things that we can learn from Simone Biles and her decision. So um, we kind of made a list, but we're just going to talk about it. And we also wanted to talk about it particularly because of our guest last week, Jill Colangelo. And Uh, If you haven't listened to that episode, please do. It was a really important discussion we had with Jill, who's a researcher, who discussed her thesis about the connection between ultra-endurance athletes and mental health. And uh, it was a really compelling conversation, and we learned a lot from it. And it makes us, I feel, better as coaches to uh, better understand where some of our athletes are coming from and, and the questions that we 
need to be asking, many of which we already do, but we need to make sure we do to make sure that our athletes are in a healthy space. So yeah, I've scabbled for a really long time. <laughs> more of the, the, uh, the, the point that I took away from our discussion with Jill was that um, you know, we need to talk about this more and this needs to be something that we, um, that is, is that we normalize. Um, you know, we always talk about how, you know, if, if we are hurting, if our ankle hurts or our knee hurts or something, we have no um, qualms and we have no hesitation to go quickly, go find a professional who can help us figure out what is going on with our knee or our leg or whatever is, you know, whatever injury, physical injury we might have. And we'll talk about it. We'll tell each other like, Hey, I'm out running today because my ankle is hurting me or, Hey, I've got some pain and um, we're you know not ashamed of it. And it's pretty, um, recognized and respected when runners say like, Hey, I'm going to take some time off because I have some physical pain. Um, not so we don't have those discussions as much with the mental health and as coaches, we see it affecting our runners a lot, um, and not being talked about. And I think that is for me, at least, um, especially with the news this week and Simone Biles, I think, um, the, the mental health aspect is, is coming out more and people are talking about it. And I was actually shocked at how, how many, um, critical, responses there were. I, I thought everyone would be kind of applauding her for standing up for herself and 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 putting her mental health first, but I was I was actually a little shocked at how many people criticized her. So that's actually one of the things that we've talked about um, is, uh, you know, is that you know what's best for you and you, you really have to make decisions um, based on what is going to work for you and your, your health, both physical and mental. Um, maybe in conjunction with your coaches and your family, but really at the end of the day, it comes down to what is going to be best for you. Because if you listen to all the noise outside of what's right for you, it can be really easy to get, um, you know, to get sidelined or to, to be convinced that, that, that you don't know what's right for you, maybe make a decision that's not in your own best interest. So um, I think it's particularly um, evident in, Olympic athletes or athletes that are in the limelight because everybody they're the subject they're under a microscope by the public and they're in the news and they're public figures so I think it's really easy then for, to see the, the the discussion that goes on around them but um, at the end of the day what you have to do is make those decisions that are that are right for you. We wanted to take a quick break from the podcast to thank our friends at RNJ Sports for their support. RNJ is our go-to expert on all things running gear related particularly running shoes. If you've struggled with finding the right shoes, the staff at RNJ can help solve just about any problem or issue. As a small locally owned business, RNJ is heavily involved in and supportive of the local running community. They get runners. They are runners. RNJ has been an enthusiastic supporter of our podcast and our training programs, including our Montgomery County Public Schools program. We are so appreciative of their support. Check them out online at rnj that's rnjsports.com yeah and i think it also to expand on that i think inherently most of us are we want to please people we're people pleasers so if there are expectations of us to go a certain route then then certainly that weighs in heavily but if if that route is not going to be good for your mental or physical health then you know that, and, and there is a voice, everyone has the voice and listen to your voice. So, and taking it to running, for example, I, I think a lot of times, especially with big races, a lot of people feel like, you know, they put pressure on themselves, maybe to achieve a certain goal or even to run a certain race, maybe because 
you're so locked in. They feel locked in. They yeah. feel locked in for expectations. Yeah. And I think too, as coaches, like this has been really enlightening for me as a coach. Um, and I think we're usually pretty good about this and, and trying to listen to our runners and also um, the flexibility that we encourage our runners to give themselves uh, in their goals. But, um, you know, coaches can also put pressure on athletes to, to um, follow through, um, you know, their plans or to, stick to a training plan or to a goal. And I think that's exactly right, is that um, a lot of times people feel like once they've committed to something, they're locked in and they can't change their mind. And that definitely isn't. Circumstances change and conditions change and health, mental or physical changes. And then, um, you know, there's always, we always talk to our runners about this. Like, you know, just because you said you're gonna run a marathon, if life gets in the way, if, if, if circumstances aren't conducive to training for a marathon, then it's okay to change your goal to make it, you know, PR in the 5k or the 10k, if that's what's going to fit into your life right now. Yeah. And even on a smaller scale, um, if you feel like everyone else is doing a certain run or a certain route or a certain distance, and you feel pressure to do that because that you feel is the expectation of you as well to be part of a group or, you know, a training plan, whatever that looks like, it's okay to say, you know what, I don't think that's going to work for me. And here's why. And, and switching up your game. Um, that's really also not just about your own expectations. It's a little bit about others too, because maybe someone's putting pressure on you to show up for a group or show up for a particular run. And, and maybe, you know, in your heart that that's not the right fit for you because you haven't gotten a lot of sleep that week and you're just feeling really run down, but the expectation is that you'll be there. Just remember, you know, your body best and, and you know, what's best for you and um, others disappointment or approval that can't drive our decisions. It's hard to block out the noise, as you just said, but watching Simone's bravery this week, it's inspiring to see that you can do that. And, and she had to do it on a big stage. All of us can certainly take care of ourselves on a smaller stage. It's hard to do also in a work setting, sometimes setting boundaries with our hobbies, like running, that's not as hard, but sometimes in a work setting where you're asked to do something and, and you know that, you know, sometimes we aren't given choices in a work setting, of course, but there are times when we can say, you know what, I can't do that right now. I'm happy to do it another time. And here's why. And if you explain it nine times out of 10, it will be well received. So sometimes we tend to just suck it up and do things because we feel like we have to, but you know, we need to take care of ourselves too. So if you're having a really rough week and somebody asks you, can you, can I ask you a favor? Make sure before you say yes, that you listen to the favor I'm digressing a little bit, but there's a point to this. And you understand that sometimes by doing someone else a favor and not, you're not doing yourself any favors and you'll pay for that down the line. So yeah, moving on. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good point. The other thing we wanted to draw attention to is something we talk about a lot. And that is we are so much more than what we do, whether that's professionally or recreationally and taking a break from what we do doesn't mean we're taking anything away from our identities. So it's hard, especially I would imagine as an Olympian, a high level athlete to separate your identity from your sport. But I think that this situation with Simone Biles certainly illuminates the importance of recognizing that who we are is very separate from what we do. And one day we all won't necessarily be able to run in the same way we're running now. One day we will not necessarily be coaching in the same way we're coaching now, but we still will be Lisa and Julie. And it's important to know that we, we are so many things, not just one dimensional. And 
I think it's often we get caught up in this, especially in the DC area. Do you ever notice like when you go to an event or something, people ask you immediately in this area, so what do you do? Do. <laughs> yes. I just was having this conversation. What do you do? That's the question. Not, um, uh, you know, uh, I just had this discussion with Paul the other day. He said in LA, the first question is, where do you live? But in DC, mm. the quest, first question is, what do you do? So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what, what should we ask instead? So who are you? <laughs> what are your awesome. interests? What are your interests? What are your interests? I like that. I think the next time I, I never ask people, what do you do? Because I never want to assume someone, first of all, has a job. That's right. really making an assumption. Also, I know it's innocent conversation, but people don't necessarily want to talk about what they're doing to a stranger. And oh, also in this area, it's tricky because there's so many people who work for like the state department. The CIA. I tell you, I, I, I tell you, but then I have to kill you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's super awkward. So yeah. So um, similarly, what do you like to do or what are some of your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy doing? Tell me about yourself. How about that? Tell me about yourself. An open-ended question that lets people, but yes, I, I think that's a really, I mean, I've thought about that a lot and I'm sure you have too, at some point of, you know, thinking about, and, and we have a lot of runners who face this when you're injured and you can't run. And unfortunately for some people, um, you know, who get injured, who may never be able to run again. Um, you know, that's obviously a scary thought for all of us. Um, but like you said, uh, you know, maybe leveraging yourself and making sure that you recognize that there's a lot more to you than just what you do in your sport or your hobby or your career or whatever that is. It's, you know, um, you know, you're a parent, you're a child, you're a spouse, a partner, a friend, and all the other things you have going on. And, and also then making, um, efforts in your life to, to, to make time for other things and, and have other hobbies and other interests and other, um, things in your life. It's very easy to get totally entrenched in whatever you're doing. So in it, with that world, and that's all your friends and that's all you talk about. And that's all you, and for us, I think it's especially easy because it's what we do. We coach. So we talk about running. That's what we do for our work. So we do for our recreation. Those are who our friends are. So, so often. And, you know, when I used to practice law, I felt like I felt into that same trap. I was only, everybody I talked to was a lawyer. Everyone I hung out with was a lawyer. All I talked about was law, you know, legal related um, topics. And, and I remember uh, distinctly going out with my sister and her friends and they were all teachers. And I remember leaving that going, that was the nicest thing to spend an evening talking about something totally to people who aren't in my industry and something not talking about legal issues and, and the legal industry. And it was such a kind of a, an eye opener. And I think that's reminds me here too. And same thing, you know, like let's diversify our lives and make sure that we have other interests and other um, friends and other networks and other interests that we pursue so that we aren't defined by, by what we do. And we don't feel, I, I, we're not necessarily defined by it, but you don't want to feel like if you lose that one thing that you've lost everything. Yep. I think that's a great point. And it's also something to tell kids as well. I think it's really easy for kids to also get in that trap. They find a sport they love. They want to do it all the time. Um, that's where they meet all of their friends. And it's, it's really important to diversify yourself and, and have friends in other areas and get different perspectives. And um, that's a great reminder. And man, that must have been miserable during that period of your life where all you were talking about was law. I would have lost my mind. I didn't realize until I went out with the teachers and I'm like, man, I really, I really we're talking about billable hours. We're talking about legal precedent and we're talking about the memo that's due for the client. Like that is boring stuff when, you know, um, yeah. So I think that's, I think that's really important. And I think that 
when you have that, it's much easier to make, going back to what we were talking about before, much easier to make decisions that are right for you. Because I think um, if you really only have one, um, if you're really defined by what you do, then uh, your decisions um, kind of flow from that. And, and related to that, um, something else that we've been talking about is that what happens to us in our lives, really, um, you know, our individual experiences and um, what we've gone through in our lives really affects um, how we approach situations. So that's, um, you know, it kind of colors the rest of your life, whether it's good or bad. Um, so, so I think we all have to kind of look at like our, and, and when looking at other people's decisions, like you can't judge that decision without knowing kind of what they've gone through and being in their shoes and, and their individual experiences that have shaped their lives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in Simone's situation, thinking about what happened to her and the timing of when she started to have the twisties, which they say often comes from feeling stressed, she likely had some PTSD. I mean, here she was on the floor representing USA Gymnastics, the very organization that, for lack of a better term, screwed her over by not protecting her against Larry Nassar and, and that creepy man who... I mean, what a horrible, horrible situation. And there she was back in the same environment competing for the very organization that failed to protect her and her teammates. And she's the only teammate remaining from the prior Olympics that had survived his sexual assault that was competing again. So I, I would imagine that what happened to her in addition to the other things that have happened to her in her life came to fruition that week. And, um, probably the months leading up to it without realizing that that's how she was reacting to it, which leads, leads us to our next point, which is mental health, just like physical health, does not have a timeline. We saw a lot of buzz this week about critics saying that, well, it would have been nice if she would have made this decision before the Olympics that somebody else could have competed in her stead. Well, you know, when we, when we break something, when we injure something physically, there's, it, it's never convenient. And similarly, mental health is health. And how an individual responds to a situation doesn't have a timeline. So I think all of us, when we are upset, frustrated, going through something, experiencing PTSD, whatever that looks like, often it's at an inconvenient time. Um, a lot of us have gone through a lot of trauma this year um, with this pandemic and what's happened over the last year and a half. And certainly while things are slowly but surely returning to normal, there are probably a lot of folks out there that will experience um, some manifestation of the trauma over the past year and a half in different ways. And that doesn't have a timeline. So recognizing that we all need to look out for ourselves in terms of knowing what's best for us back to our original point and understanding that while it may be inconvenient, if, if we or one is having a mental health issue that requires some help, just like if there's a physical ailment, get the help. There's no shame in it. And it's, it's, it's probably pretty obvious, but unfortunately, because it's harder to recognize the signs of a mental health injury versus a physical injury, sometimes it takes a bit longer. But hopefully by having conversations like this all around the country, um, you know, we have a lot of conversations about this on our podcast. We really try to normalize mental health. And hopefully um, Simone's example will continue to normalize mental health in other arenas. Hopefully the one's ability to seek treatment and to see when things are not going well um, would allow someone to seek the help necessary to be able to move forward. And to that end, 
you don't need a therapist just when things aren't going well. Therapy is something, therapy is great. It's a great tool and it's not something that we need just when things aren't going well. Therapy is wonderful when things are going well as well because it's important to take care of ourselves. And for many, many years, there was sort of this uh, quietness or shame um, in seeking therapy. And certainly if there's one silver lining from the past year and a half, it is that just like we go to the doctor, if we have something going on or go for a checkup, even when we're feeling okay, it is perfectly acceptable and encouraged to go for a checkup in terms of therapy. And um, the resources, we've talked about this a lot. You can go on to psychology today and look up therapists in your area to find a qualified therapist. Um, certainly we have lists of therapists that we're happy to provide to those um, who are having trouble identifying someone. We know plenty of people and we're happy to provide a referral, but um, it's something that needs to be, continues to need to be more normalized than where it is, but hopefully this week we've made some headway into that. Yeah, and I think, um, I hope that we're moving in the direction of recognizing mental health um, as, just as we do physical health. I think it's easier for people to see, you know, if um, Simone Biles had a, a broken leg and it was shown on an, on an x-ray or, you know, something on an MRI showed that she had an injury, I think people would be a lot more um, accepting and forgiving of her deciding to step back. But when it's a mental health injury or mental health issue, it's a lot harder to see. So um, I think, I, I hope that we're moving in the direction of, of recognizing those injuries or issues, just like we do a physical uh, issue or injury. And like we said, um, getting treatment for those just like we would and talking about it without the stigma of, of you know, just like we would a physical injury. Did you notice, I don't know if you saw, but the one of the NBC interviewers, first name was Andrea. I can't for the life of me remember her last name, but she's been covering gymnastics throughout the Olympics. She caught Simone Biles on the floor just as she announced that she was exiting the competition. And she stuck the microphone in her face and she kept saying, so is it a mental health issue or physical issue? Is it mental or physical? And I was so frustrated with her question because mental health is health. So why are we distinguishing? It, it, it was just, and you could tell she didn't. And why want would to that answer. matter? Why would that matter? Does she want right. her? Right. Does it matter? It's a health issue. <laughs> I'm stepping back. Right. right. She was trying to distinguish it, and I, I really. Right. That um, kind of in, implies too that one is more um, serious than the other. Like that. Okay. Well, if you're gonna say it's mental health, well, you know, okay, if physical health. Oh, well, in that case, you know, that, that right. Like, why do we need to distinguish? And um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So um, another point that we talked about before we got on air is that contentment comes from enjoying the process and not the achievement of the goal. So a lot of these athletes, including Simone Biles, they train and train and train for one goal. And what happens when, when the goal is either achieved or isn't achieved, but the actual event is over? What happens then? And right. And most of these events are, I mean, look at swimmers, at track athletes, at gymnastics, they're like under a couple minutes. Like it's, it's, it's a matter of seconds versus four years of preparation, which when you think about it that way, that's really a, a lot of pressure in a couple minutes or maybe even a couple seconds. Yeah. Did you see that documentary um, that Michael Phelps starred in called the weight of gold? It was on, yeah. it's, I think it's still on HBO where he yeah. talks a lot about that post-competition depression that people that high level athletes get. But I think that applies to all athletes. I mean, my gosh, I know, um, very much in a microcosm when, um, 
you know, you and I finished Boston. We often talk about this and we talk about how it's, it's a little bit of a letdown. There's always, we always have this with our runners. As soon as they're done with any race, whatever their goal race is, they like are, feel lost after they feel like, and we need recovery and we need to just sit and be, and we, 99% of the time you get people who are like, you know, eager to like, and, and we've talked about this before. There, there are actually post race, like kind of depression or doldrums of feeling like you were something you worked for for so long is now in the past. And, you know, that kind of antsy feeling of what do you do next? Yeah. And I, I think what helps to relieve ourselves of that um, post race or post event depression is if you really enjoy running and love running for running and the actual competition part of it is sort of just the whipped cream and cherry on top, then ideally it's, it's a lifestyle where it's just something you enjoy. And, and by allowing yourself the time to recover and process the achievement, or if you're feeling disappointed over the event and you want to try again, you still want to process it. And by still enjoying the process, you recognize by taking that time to recover, you will enjoy the process that much more because you will come back healthy and ready to work again. So yeah, it's just, it's just about contentment and recognizing that it is not sustainable to focus on a goal all the time. We've got to, again, leverage ourselves and think about all the different reasons we participate in our sport beyond just, I want to qualify for Boston. I want to know TQ. I want to time, you know, the X time. And once I get that, I'll be happy. No, it's really got to be about the day to day, the week to week and, and all the things we love about our sport, whatever that is. And then lastly, and we've said this before, but it's really important. This week was such an important reminder of this. And that is our achievements do not define us at all. What we accomplish, while certainly amazing, um, it's the relationships that we build. It's how we treat others. It's what we do in this world, how we how we walk through this world and how we impact others and how we relate to each other and all of the things that we do to enjoy our activity, whether it's running or some other sport, or even if it's not a sport, whatever that is, those are the things that make the memories that define our lives. It's not about the actual achievement. It's about all the things around the achievement. I guarantee when these athletes leave Olympic village and they think about their experience, it's, not at all going to just be about the actual competition they experienced. It's going to be about the buildup. It's going to be about the relationships they formed, all the people they met, the foods they tasted, the travel, all of the things. And I mean, that's what is about for us, Lisa. We talk about this all the time. I don't think about my times and races in the past. I think about who I hung out with, who I ran with, what I ate, where we went, all the funny conversations and um, how people made me feel. And similarly, I hope, you know, one day when people think about us or they think about how we made them feel, because at the end of the day, that's what's really important. Yeah, especially as coaches, like I said, I always take it back to, you know, lessons that we can learn as coaches. I think that's an important one, so, great. All right, so Simone Miles will never listen to this, but if she were to listen to this, we would say we're super proud of her and we're so grateful that she is setting setting such a great role model for being active about our mental health, taking care of ourselves and taking away any shame that one may feel about taking care and of And even if she's not a runner, we'd still have her on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Simone, give us a call. All right, Lisa. Well, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, you too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. 
And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.